Hey, Rob. What are we doing about the Mueller report? Oh, no, we're not getting into that. <laughs> That's oh, no. why I said it. No. Um, I have one thing to say about it. My thing I'm, to say is... No, do you have hey, one thing to say about it, or do you yeah. have one hour to say He's about gonna it? Start. No, one like, thing. You seem to have those things confused quite frequently. My thing to say about it is, uh, hey, Republicans, remember how we had multiple bipartisan reports about how Benghazi wasn't a thing, and yet you still fucking talked about it forever? This is me not talking about it. Okay, let's continue. All right. <laughs> that was uh, surprisingly great. succinct. Indeed. Um, yeah, it's easy to not talk about things. Uh, so this week we are going to be doing the book review of Player of Games. So I'm going to put it up in the front of the podcast that there's going to be spoilers because we always put it at the very end or after we've already spoiled shit. So mm. things are going to be spoiled today. Especially Players. in that book. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely in that book. <laughs> Perhaps in other books, that though I don't have any particular other books to relate to it that I can think of, but I don't know about you guys. Rob, I've decided on something. I, I, it is my opinion that the person who suggested the book should be the one given the honor of synopsisizing. <laughs> synopsisizing. The book. <laughs> the book. How do you feel about that? Because I feel like we're kind of random on who, who gets that honor. Why is it that you want this one thing in this random podcast to not be random? Oh, good point. Good. Point. I mean, I'm, okay. it's fine. I'm good with. I'm, I like adding I mean, some you structure totally to do it. it. Just say. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying like, that seems like an odd reason because it seems to me like everything else is pretty unstructured in this podcast. True, true. I, I just think that it would be a good idea. I also was thinking that. Regardless of whether, I mean, Stephen is the one this, to suggest it, but Stephen has now read it at least one more time than the two of us, meaning that he's got double the the synopsizing synapses in his brain, or probably like one point three times as many at least, because I'm sure the original read has decayed over time. So, <laughs> you want me to do like a like a quick and dirty synopsis? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, like uh, you know, two to five minutes. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, are we not going to bullshit for a while first, or are we just going to hop right into this thing? Oh yeah. What are we going to bullshit about? We always. I don't. Know, we always find something to bullshit about. Steve wants some bullshit in your life. Um, what is a scrum? <laughs> so, um, scrum is a. It's rugby. It, it did come from rugby. Yeah. People were like. What the fuck is a scrum certification when I posted about getting it? And I, I just responded, I can be a rugby doctor now. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> scrum is basically a project management framework. Uh, people use it a lot for software development. And uh, it basically takes like the normal development cycle that's like broken down into phases and instead turns it into like... Uh, like shorter iterative increments that just like repeat over and over again. So you have like a backlog of things that you want to be part of the product. And then each sprint you, your team selects a few things from the backlog to be like the goal to have done by the end of your sprint. And then at the end of your sprint, you integrate it all back in, into the software, or whatever you're working on, talk about what you could do better and then immediately start on, the next sprint of getting more stuff from the backlog done until the product is finished. 
Yeah. So uh, one thing I would say about that is the reason why it's gotten so popular is because you take products like Microsoft, like Microsoft Windows that were these huge monolithic multi-year release cycles where you've got all this stuff you want to do and basically you split it all up across your teams, you all work towards those goals and at the end of the release you start you go into a phase of like uh, what's called zero bug bounce and you got your bug testing and all that kind of shit and then finally you've been bouncing at zero bugs for long enough where you're like okay I'm ready to release and then you go release Windows 10. And almost all software nowadays is moving away from that model. That model. They're moving towards a model where software is a service. And they will really, they'll even call it software as a service, right? It's like Windows updating every six months. And you getting little incremental improvements in between those six months. And it's like how Chrome, you're on Chrome 75, and they ship a new release basically every month or two. And so what they've moved to is a model where instead of saying this is the release and this is what we're going to do they basically just say at the end of our thing it's normally called a sprint in 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 like in scrum or at least my team calls it sprints yeah you're just like we're going to release a new version what's done is done what's not is not and that's it right like it either makes it or not and so we would call that like the release train like we have a sprint it's two weeks long if your shit is not in on Wednesday night, then it is not going to go into the release train that goes out on Thursday. End of story, right? Doesn't matter whether you promised people that it would or whatever. Doesn't matter what you promised Windows 10 would have or not. It's just these are the things that are shipping because these are the things that are ready and checked in and tested. Um, so everyone is kind of moving more towards Scrum as a you know a project management release model, especially in software engineering because it's so agile towards you know shipping on a on a shorter cadence the problem being now that if you want to use windows you have to pay every year for it sure yeah office and stuff not windows but like office and all of that stuff yeah i mean it ends up being more lucrative for the companies too because they can say look our software is a service because that's what microsoft needed to be more lucrative (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean Honestly, the yearly thing for Office is pretty good. It's not a terrible. It's not a terrible deal. Um, I mean, if Microsoft made you stop paying for Office, they would do just fine. They're making all their money off of Azure right now. So. <laughs> so yeah, I've I very recently got my first professional Scrum mat master certification because i'm trying to get out of my boring dead-end job and into that field and yeah cool scrum scrum master is something you can do without necessarily having any software development training or ability because the scrum master's job is basically to teach the the team and the organization as a whole how to do scrum effectively Yep. I mean, at the, yeah, you're you're going to be doing a lot of stuff where you're in charge of the reporting to management and things like that, right? And and your job is to basically help the team properly report what they've done mm-hmm. and then help management properly understand what the team has done, right? So everyone like you're you're like very pivotal to the, you know, the organization as a whole runs runs well because the team understands what they need to do and the management understands what uh, what has been accomplished. Another important part of the job is 
uh, telling stakeholders to fuck off and leave the development team alone. Yeah, that's true. Too. <laughs> well, yeah, or it's just like, well, file an issue and we'll put it in our backlog. And and you could basically say, hey, other stakeholder, these are our, this is our all of the shit in our backlog, and this is how we've prioritized it. Do you really think the thing you want is above all these other things? If it is, go email my boss. If it's not, then fuck off, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> all about a job that's that's like about keeping people who don't know how to do the thing away from the people who do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. No, that's that's great. That's that's how it should be done. Good times. Was that enough bullshit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rob. Is that enough bullshit? I just I'm giving the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> people come to us for bullshit. They don't come to us for serious conversation. This this is accurate. Um, I've been developing a mental list of words that I can't spell. Okay, but. Okay, continue. <laughs> I just like I Give every me time. One. Every time I run into a word that I'm like, I want to use in conversation, and then I try to type it in, and Google's like, "What are you even doing?" <laughs> <laughs> when I find out what I'm doing, I make a note of that word. It hasn't helped me at all because I actually don't know how to spell any of them. Okay, give me one. I'm gonna see if I know any of them. You probably know all of them. Oh, okay. But do you These are not like hard words. Them. I'm just mentally challenged. Yeah. <laughs> like, as an example, today I wanted to use the word visceral. Visceral? That's a good one. V-I-S-C-E-R-A-L. Yeah, why is there an S and a C next to each other? That's pointless. Because of the roots, right? I think, uh... It's from I wish, get, I wish we could... Visera, yeah. Or, and it's probably the S-C-E is like a something. I don't know. Okay, what else do you got, Rob? Give uh, us all of them. Oh, I don't know. But that was the one that came up today. This is why it was on my mind. And I was, uh-huh. I've been trying to like think about but, that word today. So what I was going to say is um, one of the things that I can't use a word almost if I can't spell it. It's like my brain is visualizing words as I say them. And there's like this mental block that if you can't, if I can't visualize the words letters in my mind when I say it, then I, I just don't say it. My I will choose a different word. If if there's a word that I have like a hard time remembering how to spell, I will intentionally pronounce it wrong in my head in a way that makes the spelling ah. more obvious. Yep. Like onom- onomatopoeia. Yeah, like if I was having trouble remembering <laughs> how to spell visceral, in my head I'd probably say it visceral. <laughs> Viscaril. But that means Viscaril. you had to at some point know how to spell the word to come up with the mispronunciation? Yes, yeah, yeah. So he would look it up and then go, okay, I'm going to remember that as Viscaril. <laughs> right, so like for me, like one of those is conscience. Con- yeah, conscience. <laughs> I like that. Conscience <laughs> is a really good one. Yeah. That's, that's good. I feel like that's fine. That's that's great. Uh, I have a word for you that actually isn't that hard to spell. It's just long, so it just you'd have to keep it in your brain. Is it On birthday? F- that's like a lot no. of letters. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, on on Friday, I had a procedure with a uh, um, gastroenterologist, which is called an esophago gastroduodenoscopy. 
A word which I can spell, and which I would guess almost anyone could spell. There's just a lot of letters in it, and you just got to keep track of where you are. But it's basically where they take a, uh, a camera, and they shove it down your throat, and then they just keep shoving it down your throat until they get to your stomach, and then they keep stuffing it down your throat until they get to your duodenum, and they take pictures to see what's up. What's up with your duodenum? Duodenum is another good word. Yeah. Excuse me? Oh, so nothing. My stomach and duodenum are fine. They could have stopped at my esophagus, but they just kind of do it for completion's sake, I guess. It's kind of like uh, when you buy a pizza and you eat, uh, you know, 10 of the 12 slices and you're like, eh, and then you eat the last two. They, right? They you didn't like, really you need. Yeah, exactly. You didn't really need the last <laughs> two, but like you don't want to save them either. And so I think it's basically like, well, we're already fucking shoving a scope down your throat. We might as well take pictures of the other shit too. Just like I got um, nowhere to be. You want to check out this guy's duodenum? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> So uh, anyway, I have this thing where like I have dysphagia, which is like I can't swallow properly sometimes, and I think it might be just a, <laughs> I think it might be a, a like an allergic response, and so they basically do a scope and they went in there and like took a little clippings from my esophagus to see if there's going to be like too many, uh, you know, type of white blood cells called eosinophils and or something like that. So anyway. Um, I had that done, and I just think that word is awesome because it's super long. Two things. Yes. Definitely. Another word I consistently spell wrong, but I've gotten to the point now where I spell it correct enough that Google normally knows what I'm trying to get at. Uh-huh. And secondly, John Green has some esophagus health-related issue where occasionally yeah. he can't swallow stuff and has to go to the hospital. No, yeah, his is worse for sure. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard a show in which he's talked about exactly what he was diagnosed with. He has. Okay, so he might have something similar. Um, the internet but, is such that I bet if I type in John Green throat thing, I bet it'll work. <laughs> True. Uh, but his is definitely worse. He's had it where he'll swallow something and his esophagus is so inflamed that he literally, the it will get stuck. The piece of food or whatever will get stuck in his esophagus, which I've heard is very uncomfortable. It, it sounds uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. My, you could still breathe and everything. Um, mine is where it's uncomfortable and I can feel it going through. It's like I know my esophagus is inflamed, but it, I've never gotten anything stuck, right? So I, I've never been at the point where I have to go to the hospital and get like a fucking epinephrine shot or something to reduce swelling in my esophagus, which sounds awful. Did you find out what he has? The Indie Star has an article about it, but it's got some weird freaking block about I have to answer some survey questions in order to read the article. And oh, I that's just true. hate this. I, this is why no one goes to newspapers for anything anymore, because either be, you have to read a newspaper or their websites are cancer. That's true. Uh, Rob, were you saying the word that was hard for you to spell is definitely? Yeah. I see. Because I thought you were saying a word that is hard to spell is definitely, and then you just didn't say the word. No, no, just right. definitely, yeah. Uh, There's like a the bunch of eyes that I don't feel like they should always be there. The only word that matters is finite. Now you're done. How do you spell finite? F-I-N-I-T-E? Correct. Definite is definite. And definitely is definitely. 
So that's actually go. pretty helpful. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. No, like the root is finite. And so like that, as long as you remember finite, you're good. If it makes you uh, feel any better, I've been uh, several times this past week, I misspelled my own name on <laughs> documents that like my coworkers had to see as part of my job just because I was like too lazy to spell check. And uh-huh. like I... I do too much, like, a little bit of typing and then have to click on something and then a little bit of typing to actually uh, bother to stay on the home row. So, like, I have my yeah. own way of typing that's not, like, pecking at keys, but it's definitely not the right way to do it. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes if, I, if I'm typing too fast, I'm not hitting the keys in the right order. So, like, mm. three or four times last week, Someone saw me spell my name as S-T-V-E-E-N. Steveen. Yep. I do that all the time. I do Arno, A-A-R-N-O, all the time. Like, it's it, it happens all the time. So for me, I misspell my name every time I sign it because I'm really bad at cursive. And so my fingers, whatever I do when Robert is what happens in Gambrell. So it's like Robert is E-R-T. And Gambrel has R-E, so it's an E-R versus an E-R-E. And so if I spell Robert R-E, then Gambrel comes out correctly. But if I do Robert correctly, where it's E-R, then the same motion happens in Gambrel. You get Gambrel. Robert Gambrel. (laughs) That's amazing. My my signature, like, the only thing that is legible is the first two or three letters of both my first and last name. Same. See, here's the thing for me, though, is, like, my brother, my mom, and my dad all have these absolutely gorgeous, legible, beautiful signatures. Uh-huh. And so I've, I've just grew up around that, and I've always wanted to be a part of the family. I'm just <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad's is really cool, and so is my mom's, and mine is lame in comparison, for sure. And there must have been a point where, like, people worked on a signature. Like, they, like, actively spent time to develop what their signature is going to be, that our generation would just like, A-R, squiggle. <laughs> I did too, actually, except I, I had decided that I was just going to line it. A-line-J-R-line. Line. And then I worked on it. Oh, you put the J in there. I do. I would I put do. the S in there, but I legitimately just don't know how to do a cursive capital S. I, d- I just I don't mean, know what that looks like. And that's why I throw the J in there, because fucking J <laughs> is cool looking. Capital S, eh. Whatever. Capital G is really cool looking. Capital, capital S G is, is cool. <laughs> capital, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, Even you care about your capital S. If you look at my driver's license, like, <laughs> there's much more letters in my signature that are still legible, because that was when I was like, 18 and still gave a shit uh but yeah. now i have uh, yeah <laughs> i see rob is yeah. showing us what he claims is a 18 year old 18 year old me had a worse signature than 29 year old me has my my signature so, looks good now but definitely only has a few letters that are legible because my job i'd say most days i write my signature like 15 to 20 times Oh, interesting. I cuz so I'm like attesting yeah. to things. So I have to like swear an oath by like signing the document and then I have to sign like the notary's book for the document that I signed and then I have to notarize for a coworker and sign all their documents. 
Yeah, for uh, for my profession, we have to sign a ton of documents, but they're all digital signatures, so like oh. I don't have to actually do anything. I fucking yeah. bitch. We waste so much fucking uh, paper. I used to have to do mine a lot for stuff, and what I did is I took an image, I, I signed a piece of paper, I scanned it, I made the black the background transparent, and then I would just drop it in documents. <laughs> so I just place it over top shit <laughs> and so it looks like i physically signed it and scanned it but i didn't all right well that's probably way more bullshit than we uh, banked on having all right so uh player of games is a book by ian m banks in what is known as the culture series and the series is one of those series where um, all of the books are set in the same universe, but they're pretty chronologically distant from each other, and there's almost no repeating characters. Um, the only consistent thing is that they all have to do with the culture, which is a um, like hyper-advanced pan-human society that is like spacefaring and um, is so incredibly advanced that um, they're a post-scarcity society. So they don't even have like currency or anything like that because they, they can just make anything anyone would ever need. And so the society is kind of a weird mix of like communist slash anarchist. Um, Cause no one is really governed over in the culture really but anyway um and they're kind of like uh so like in star trek the starfleet uh they have the whole like prime directive where they will they refuse to interfere with any societies that are below a certain technological level uh the culture does the exact opposite of that they whenever they run into cultures that are at or below a certain tech level uh, that they think are on a, a path towards bad stuff, they will find ways to subtly or not so subtly manipulate uh, that society and like kind of steer them in the right direction. And so in Player of Games, there's uh, the main character whose name I think is pronounced Gerge. Like, I don't know how to... Gerge. Yeah. yeah, all the names are fucking bizarre in all these books. They are. But, um, yeah, he uh, he is, like, one of the best game players in the entire society. Um, and they come across... Um, like, in the literal sense. Yeah, like... He, in, in, well, and in, a, and in an economic... Like, a uh, theory sense as well. But, like, literally chess and games like that. Yeah, because it's the kind of culture where you can be someone who's just like, I'm going to be really good at everything to do with games my entire life. Exactly. But anyway, um, so there's a special division of the culture that is basically the division involved with contact with other societies and also, like, black ops espionage kind of, like fucking with other societies and they find a an empire that uh their entire society like everyone's like rank and position in that society is determined by this super complex game called azad and so 
what they do is they send Gurge to this society like as a guest to participate in these games. But what Gurge is unaware of and what this culture is unaware of is that they are actually basically using him as an agent to like totally fuck with this other society just based on like the game is supposed to be reflective of society. So when he shows up and plays it, that someone the way from the culture would play it, it totally throws them off and like is catastrophic to their society. Yeah. So, um, should we go into reviews? I have to give a couple of thoughts. Oh yeah. Let's do reviews real quick. Yeah. Steven go first. Um, I, did you reread it for this, or did you just go on the first reading? Oh, I reread it. This is like the third or fourth time I've read this book. I love this whole series, and this book in particular. Yeah. And I, every time I recommend it to someone, I will read it with... I will read it if they are also reading it. Nice. Um, it's my favorite... It's one of my favorite books in the series, and I think it's one of the most accessible. Um, it's like... It's a good... It's a good intro into this series because the whole idea of the culture is is kind of bizarre uh so what is your so steven you've given a few other ratings what is your rating one through five i, I give this like a, a like a 4.5 or something like that i'm i'm a big fan of this book it's one of my favorites yeah i'm gonna give it i'm gonna if we're doing the quick reviews i'm gonna go ahead and give it a four um i'll give reasons for the four in a minute after aaron gives his Oh, so I wasn't going to be as granular. I think I gave us a few other things, 4 or 4.5. For me, it's a solid 5. Right on. Right, so... Like, I love books like this, and even though I have criticisms, the criticisms of most fantasy and sci-fi is literally never enough for me to rate them less than 5, unless it's just not as good as others. <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple things about the book real quick, and I'm uh-huh. going to get into far more spoilery type of stuff than Steven got into in his thing. Uh-huh. Um, so I would like I urge you to stop podcast now if you haven't read this book and there's any chance that you will because it's it's legitimately a great book and yeah. it would not I don't know how Stephen's read a couple times because I feel like knowing what happened would kind of affect my opinion of it a little anyway but that's not the point if it's your life you do you <laughs> um, so the first part of the book he's just on a regular culture. I'm going to call it a planet, that they don't really ever describe them as planets. They're, like, created habitats for certain types of people to live on, right? So, like, everyone has, like, a certain type of... I looked it up. They're actually, like, halo rings. Yeah, they're on an orbital. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a halo ring. But, whatever. Same difference. He's on that, and you're getting to know a couple of the characters here and there, and there's, like, an asshole robot that's, like, wanting to be a military machine. But the, the, the robots are all sentient. And they don't really have total control over what their personality develops to be. And this one robot's personality developed to be kind of a dick. So they didn't let it... Like, it was built to be a military robot. Turned out he was kind of a dick. They didn't want a dick in the military. So they took away all of his weapons and just made him, like, sit on a halo ring. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and really his name is, like... where he wants, and that's where he decided to go. To continue... Like, what Steven said earlier about the things having crazy names. I think his name is, like, Morin Scale. Yeah, Morin Scale. Whatever. But, but you're like, supposed to go like, huh, in the center. Yeah. Real quick, 
if I didn't have the audiobook for this, that would have deeply affected my ability to read this book because I mm. don't think I would have been able to figure out all of the names. I would have gotten so lost in the names. I'm I'm mm. I'm really curious to listen to the audiobook now because like I've never heard anyone else pronounce these names out loud. So yeah. like I'm wondering if I'm getting it right. Like is it supposed to be pronounced Skeft and Amtasa? Like I don't know. <laughs> Who is that? Yeah, I don't even know which character that, that is. is. Uh, hold on. Um, but yeah, going back to what I was saying, Stephen will get back to us about whatever character that's named. <laughs> um, oh, that might be from a different book. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he, so he, they're building up Gurge as this like expert player, like in the whole culture, expert player of all these various games that he plays. And then they kind of built up this moment where he, like, loses a game to a random person due to just bad luck. Yeah. And then they had him cheat in the next game, which he's never cheated before, to try to beat this young prodigy. Not and then, beat, because that that was an interesting moment for me, too. But the, he had already known that he was going to win. Right, he already knew he was going to win, but he was going to win in such a spectacular form Correct. that no one's ever won before. Correct. Right, and that's what he cheats to try to accomplish that. And then, like, that seemed like a pivotal moment, and then it didn't matter the rest of the book. So, I'm with you on that. So, there, there's two things. It did matter, because you know, you end up finding out, huge spoiler, that Marin Skell is also Fleer Imsaho, and was also there all along to get him in a compromising position... So that he would feel more uh, like need to go on this mission, right? To get uh, Marin Skell off his back, right? So at first when it happened, I was like, if this isn't a setup, then this whole thing about him cheating is stupid because it doesn't it's it's it doesn't mean anything right it had nothing to do with the rest of the book so which is why i basically knew once he decided to go that it had to be a setup because otherwise it was pointless to the rest of the book right i thought that at least in my opinion i thought that even the guy that he played on the train and like had that embarrassing moment with was some kind of thing might have been special circumstances like stage setup Yeah, that's interesting. Just kind of like affect his confidence in some way, so that he might be more likely to cheat, or or yeah. just to see but how I will like say, pliable he is. Exactly. I will say, Rob. One thing that I was going to say about that before you continue, so that I don't have to say it during my my review, is I still didn't really feel like, especially his character before that moment and his character afterwards. I wasn't convinced that he actually would have done that. Right, like yeah. I'm still unconvinced that his character would have made that decision because he seems to be, you know, he's such a you know involved in the community of game theory and playing games and things like that that he would want any moment in which someone won that game in such a spectacular fashion to be truly deserved, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't, I wasn't. Su- that's one of my criticisms is I'm still not super convinced that that was part of his character or part of even like the character of someone raised in the culture, right? Like he, this, this game doesn't mean anything right to anyone in the culture. Right. And so, because it's so socialistic and it's so, you know, post, uh, you know, law. 
right? And so the and, other thing, another thing about this book that I think was actually done very well is that they are not playing chess. Like, they're playing games that are made up for the book. Mm. And he does an incredible job of not really describing the games very well, but also making them exciting that they're describing, like, the iterations through the game process. Yeah. And, like, making me you... care about each individual game, even though I don't understand at all really what the game is. Yeah, and you have visual, like, I have a visual picture of what each game looks like in my head. Right? Even, though even though I have I've... no idea how to play it. Exactly, but I, I have a visual picture in my head of what the progression even looks like in some of those games. So let's cool. talk a little bit about the Empire. Um, so he's part of the culture, and there's this other civilization called the Empire. And the Empire is, like, the, 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 uh, Contact is the name of the organization within the culture that goes out to these other civilizations and decides what to do with them, essentially. And so they want... Uh, Gergay to join because they found this one really strange civilization called the Empire that runs its entire kind of like hierarchy based off of a game. So like the better you do in this game, the higher you will raise in civilization is essentially how this 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 civilization works. And the game is incredibly complicated. It takes like lifetime to learn and I think the culture picked out Gergay because they're like, well, he looks like the best person in the culture that could play this game right now. Yeah. So let's get him involved and see and send him over there. I think that that, that Contact always thought Gergay was going to do well, but they made Gergay believe that he was just going there over as like a diplomatic thing. You're going to lose, but we'll talk and maybe we'll get some better relations with some of the people. Anyway, so the Empire is what I want to talk about is that they are, like, this kind of brutal, hierarchical society where those at the low end have nothing, like, po- like just desperate poverty versus the absolutely la- lavish, amazing lifestyles of the rich and the wealthy. And I thought that for a while, where the story was going, that I was really into, was that the Empire was a reflection of humanity. And they were using the culture to kind of point out a lot of the flaws that, like, actual human civilization currently has. And I thought that was going to be a very interesting take to see kind of like, okay, what's going to happen when they try to introduce culture ideas into this, into, like, what is essentially the human civilization. Because, like, all of those scenes, like, when, like, when Gerge goes out into the Empire not accompanied and not with like the layer of like sheen that they were projecting to him. And he's so like horrified about all this poverty and death and all this type of stuff. Uh, I was like really excited about where that was going to go. And then like the way the book ended was very unsatisfying to me where like, rather than them trying to like approach like, through this, through like this book, through this story, trying to point out problems in real life, it went to just oh, and we killed them and took over. Like mm. that seemed like a kind of simplistic ending to what could have been a much more complex, <laughs> interesting story. Which is where, like, up until the last two chapters, it was a solid five for me, mm. and then I was disappointed in the end, and that's why I gave it a four. So I'm going to expand on that when I talk about it, but I want to talk about my less interesting points first, because I think that's an interesting discussion. Uh, I told Rob a few weeks ago 
one of my my biggest criticism about the writing um, is just that I feel like writers that I really like, even during boring exposition, the writing is the same quality. And I got a little bit of a sense that he there were sections of the book in which he had to do what even he himself considered boring exposition. <laughs> and he let his writing suffer at the same time. Right? Like, and, and maybe he didn't. Maybe that's just his writing style. Um, but I got the sense that, like, the, the, the scenes that I knew were pivotal. Like, the scene when my one of my favorite scenes in the book, and I forget the guy's name, but it's when he's playing against the star marshal or whatever. Or no, the, the judge. The judge where they made the, the judge. bet? The judge. Yeah, when they made the bet. And when the judge, the next chapter is from the judge's point of view, which was really cool switch. And the judge realizes that the look on Gergay's face is the look is a look that he's never seen before. And he's trying to figure out he knows that look, but he can't figure out where he knows that look from. And finally he realizes that the look on Gergay's face, his disposition, is the disposition of a judge passing judgment. Which and and those that chapter was incredibly well written. And I could tell, like I could feel the excitement that Ian Banks had while he was writing that, right? And then I I felt like he you can definitely feel the lack of inci- excitement that he has in some of his more expository sections of the book. Not a big criticism, but it's something that I I could feel. Um but thankfully he's an excellent writer during the parts where it counts and I yeah. loved that scene. I thought it was amazing. Um the other thing I would say, besides the thing where, you know, the cheating, I was like, I still don't really feel that for his character. Um, I thought it was really cool. And, and, and so this is the interesting thing, Rob. I, I think we also talked about where you had me write down what I thought it was about. Yeah. Right? And I wrote down basically what you said. Is I thought that the the purpose or the theme of the book was going to be, and I wrote... A comparative analysis of the ultimate achievement of a purely socialistic society versus the ultimate achievement of a purely capitalistic society. Because that's what I was kind of feeling like. Like, sure, you can't do whatever you want, right? But but the culture is so post-law that he explains once to the people in the empire that, yeah, you can murder someone, but then you will spend the entire rest of your life. You won't even go to jail. You'll just spend the entire rest of your life with a robot, you know, following you. And the Empire is like, well, shouldn't you punish punish them? And, I, and again, this is a thing that our society should be asking them. Like, should prison be punishment or should it be to reduce recidivism, right? And his point was, no, you, you, kept, you keep letting them live whatever life they want and go to whatever parties people will allow them to attend. Um, but because you now know that that robot will ensure that they will never do commit murder again. You have now solved the problem of them harming another individual or whatever, right? Like the recidivism rate is zero. Um, and so he's like, nobody murders for that. And like people fall off of cliffs and they can they get saved before they die. Or they'll get dismembered and they get saved, right? And they can dream up almost anything that they want and build whatever structures that they want. Um, but there are still some of these limits. It's just that those limits nobody cares about because life is so easy, 
right? Because you can choose to be an artist or choose to be a player of games or choose to be whatever it is you choose to spend your life on, you don't have these kind of like, you know, innate sense of doing tech, typically bad things. It's like that thing I've said a thousand times. It's like you're if you go look and you go profile all the people in ISIS, I guarantee very, very few of them are wealthy, right? No fucking fat cats are joining ISIS strapping on suicide vests. And I don't mean no, but I mean very few, right? And so that's kind of like the dichotomy between the two. And I, and I thought it was really cool that they had some other stuff, like they could change sexes anytime they wanted, right? Um, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. That thought you had about them, be, that that comparison that you thought the book was going to be about was the exact way I felt about the book. So then I knew that when you got to the ending and that's not what it was, you were going to feel the same way I felt, which is why I had you write that thought. Down. Yeah, so in, I have to admit, I, I do feel, I did feel the same way. I think I probably need to reread it again. And, and, and I think the reason I say that is because my guess is... Because that was like the last thing. The last thing is uh, Gerge is playing Azad or Azad or whatever they call it with um, the Emperor Nikasar. Right, of the Empire, Nikasar. And Gerge realizes that Nikasar is rightfully the, em- the Emperor. He is playing Azad in a manner that is the complete and total embodiment of what the Empire is. And when when Gerge comes to that realization, he realizes that he needs that he has been playing uh Azad as if like an outsider playing in the mold of the Empire's game. And he needs to play Azad like the culture. Like he needs to be the pure embodiment of the culture, and so my my feeling is that it is a little bit of a comparative analysis of that, and that if I were to reread all of the chapters every time he's playing the game, um, then I would get you would start to feel that comparative analysis a little bit more if you really dig deep into the way those games are described. I think he's trying to be very clever in making it kind of an, a comparative analysis without uh, punching you in the face with it, right? right? By masking it underneath the way Gerge experiences the same comparative analysis by playing and, and through the game. So, right? um, there's a thing that Ian Banks likes to have in almost all of his culture books, and um, they're what's called, I think, an out-of-context problem. And um, an out-of-context problem is when a society is faced with a problem that they haven't even previously conceived of before. They have no idea what it is. They have no way of dealing with this problem because the way their society works, they couldn't possibly have even conceived of the problem happening in the first place. It's like when Mm. conquistadors showed up in the new world like in in south mm-hmm. in central america and the people who already lived there were like what the fuck are those things because they hadn't even seen <laughs> yeah. that big before like yeah. they hadn't even <laughs> conceived of that and like the accounts that they have of like seeing boats they describe the boats in really weird ways because they've never seen them before and they don't know how to describe them 
Mm. And so Gerge is showing up in the Empire and playing Azad. He is an out-of-context problem. Yeah, okay. Like, and he does get he does get lost in the weeds a little bit, um, like, leading up to the very final match because, like, he starts speaking almost exclusively in Eakic or whatever the the local yeah, languages yeah. and his play style is a lot more like aggressive and domineering and he yeah. isn't doing as well as he hoped he would in the final match and then the the drone that's with him Flarimsaho like makes it a point to speak to him exclusively in Moraine which is yeah. the culture's language and like the Moraine is a like scientifically crafted language to be like to very precisely represent the ideas of the culture like it's near impossible to express any kind of ideas of ownership using moraine and stuff like that yeah like the the even the language itself is super egalitarian and and exactly it evokes the same concepts as the society itself yeah and so he he converses with Gerge only in Moraine because he's trying to get his brain to start thinking again like as a citizen of the culture because that's the only yeah. way he's going to win that match yeah yeah I, I mean I, I loved it I thought it was I thought it was really good and that's why I say Rob I think he's I hate it when authors punch you in the face with what like they're trying to get across I was once reading Twilight and like she alluded to something in one paragraph and in the next paragraph she punches you in the face with it. And it was like, okay, you're treating me like a child. You you were giving me something to you were putting down something for me to, you know, pick up with a with a looking glass and then the next the next paragraph you picked up the looking glass and punched me in the face with it. And it's like now I don't feel as proud figuring it out the paragraph before because you literally punched me in the face with it. <laughs> and I feel like this goes almost swinging completely the other way where you've really got to dig down into like some of the passages about the ways Gerge faces his opponent in, opponents in Azad to get maybe some of the deeper things that Ian Banks is saying about the Empire. Because even Gerge towards the end, he realizes that he's been playing half and half. Yeah. Right, that he's been playing more conservatively than the people of the empire, but but not pure culture, right? And then when he realizes that the emperor is playing pure empire, he realizes that the only way to win, and he has kind of this like odd out of body moment where he almost like views him like even the decision of the culture to send him to there and things like that as part of like what the culture is and what it represents as like what it means for him to play like the culture, right? And and he even, I think, says, like, he uses a piece. I, I've, I'd have to go back, but I got the sense almost that he was saying that, like, Gerge uses a piece that is himself in the game, right? Like a piece that goes in and creates, like, just disruptions, right? Without, you know, things like that. And, I mean, I thought that was really cool. Um, the other thing that I thought was just like, I don't know if it was like really that important of a moment, but it struck me as kind of like an interesting thing that not a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of in stories in general, mm-hmm. is when uh, he's winning a bunch of matches that, the, you know, the Empire did not expect him to win and that Gerge didn't expect to win. And he's doing very well and he's, I think he's just come off of like absolutely dominating 
like one of the one of the opponents that like they barely even describe the match because he just kills them so bad. And then mm-hmm. they're like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna film you losing, no matter what you do." Mm-hmm. So, because we need to project to the empire that you lost, uh, and so if you allow us to do that, you can keep playing. And uh, yeah. is just like, "Sweet, cool with me. Yeah. I'll even I'll help you film me losing." Yeah, and it was just like, "Oh, that's a cool way to resolve that little issue." It's just like. <laughs> He's he's he does he's here to play the game. He's enjoying playing the game. He wants to see how far he can take it. He doesn't give a shit what the empire thinks happened. Yeah, it's not like a pride thing. He doesn't. That's he, he, very culture of him. It's not a pride thing. He doesn't care if he's projected yeah. <laughs> as a loser. Like he doesn't care. He just wants to keep playing. And I thought, oh okay. Yeah, that cool. was he's, that was he's cool. just there for the experience. Yeah. Um. Uh. Which again, I think is like a calculated portion of how the culture was approaching the problem of the empire right oh yeah they they totally use him though yeah and like it well i mean it feels like just the tiniest bit gross how they use him like uh-huh. it does feel manipulative but he does end up like totally disrupting a huge like evil empire in the process well, well and that's Emsoho tells nikolai Nikasar before, before the last match that if he loses then the culture is going to come down and destroy the empire but they don't tell Gurge that and he also tells Nikasar that oh, he can't yeah. tell Gurge that so it's like he's he's thrown this thing into the very end to like and this is like you know we don't need to describe how the book ends because I don't know if there's anything that's terribly deep or interesting in that to me, although maybe I'm wrong because you guys have already pointed out some things that are more deep and interesting than I thought <laughs> that they were on my first reading. Um, but like, like it's just like it creates like the like you you understand the tension of that match so much better when you realize what Nikosar is playing for versus what Gurge is playing for. Like Gurge is just playing a game for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. and Nikosar <laughs> is playing to save his species. Yeah, like it's crazy. Or to that, save his way of life, his empire. The, right. The well, as far as he knows, it's his species. I mean, there is one interesting bit, which is that you know, Gerge when is told all of this by Fleer Imsaho, who's afterward more in scale. Yeah, afterwards, and seems pretty upset and depressed by it. So much so that he decides to go into cryogenic freezing on the way back. So much so that he's still kind of depressed the 10 days leading up to being cryogenically frozen and the 10 days or whatever post being cryogenically unthawed. And then Chambliss and uh, what's her face? Yay. Uh, or his face, depending yay. on what part of the book. Chambliss and Yay show up and he's like, oh, I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, it, it seems at first you would say it, like just hearing us talk about it without reading the book makes it seem like, oh, that's dumb. But it's actually really awesome. It's like that's the way the culture is. It's like this is that thing that happened to me once. And otherwise, I'm just going to keep living my life. Right. <laughs> like I've got I've got a life to live that this is just a story that I can tell people, you know, in the future or whatever. Um. So I did think it was really I, – I love this question of um, – and maybe I don't know if you guys are interested in it or not or, as well. But like this question of like pure capitalism versus pure socialism for me is really interesting. And just that in my opinion, like 
if you had, and, and obviously we don't currently have infinite resources, but if we had infinite resources, then pure capitalism would turn into the empire, right? By, by the very nature of it, it requires winners and losers, right? There's this like, I don't think it, well, it doesn't require it, but it almost feels like, you know, people say, well, no, in theory, anyone can be a winner. But at the end of the day, capitalism still wants to drive down the winning, the, the cost to the winners, right? So the winners uh, can be more winners, bigger winners, right? And driving down those costs would be paying people less or paying people less for their services or whatever. And, and like, in my opinion, necessarily results in kind of the state of the empire where you have to have these huge levels of stri- striation in society, even if you had infinite resources. So if you imagine this book to be super popular, do you think that this book would annoy conservatives the same way Atlas Shrugged annoys liberals? Um, no. Uh, oh, maybe. Um, like... The Empire is definitely supposed to be, like, a magnification of a non-specified, like, capitalist empire on Earth. Um, it's it's that, but more so. Um, yeah. I, can all, I could see Concerta's getting uh, annoyed by it just because, uh, in the same way that atlas shrugged is like they're both pretty unfair in setting up which side is clearly Mm. more superior in the other like yeah it's super easy to have like a utopian socialist like anarchist society when you're technologically advanced enough that you don't even need money anymore yeah and and just like of course, objectivism, objectivism makes sense in Ayn Rand's universe because she sets it up so that every character can just like, succeed to their wildest dreams just by the sheer force of will that they have. Like, neither exactly. of these are realistic. Uh, <laughs> That's true. But, I mean, I, I did like, like, I mean, the primary thing about the, it's like the Empire doesn't have anything to do with not much race or anything. He sets the stage that the biggest class differences is in uh, gender or sex organs, I guess you could say. There's three genders. And, yeah, and there's three genders. With The, the non-fail, non-female version being the superior one. So he dodged that bullet. Yeah, which <laughs> it, that's actually probably an interesting way to do it. And, and that's another way in which he's like even – that's kind of what he's pointing out, though, is that in the society, you, you end up, like, people have to try to figure out a way to win. And figuring out that way to be a winner requires, in many cases, that you subjugate or at least lessen the value of others. And that's what I think is so, one of the dichotomies that he presents is the fact that, you know, in the culture society, uh, sex is interchangeable. It's also, quote-unquote, socialized, right? You can choose without cost what sex you want to be at any point you want to choose that. And, and so that's why 
when he goes there, he doesn't even have, like, Gurge doesn't even have the concept of the sexes even being different, right? Because it was, he was just like, I just didn't choose to change sex, but I know 10 people who have all chosen multiple times to switch one way or the other using, you know, viral gene therapy or whatever. And I think that was kind of an interesting thing, too, about how he just, he's really going to the max of, like, like if you give pure, like, infinite resources and infinite technology, it there becomes a point at which you want society to move to a place where you should be able to change sex anytime you want, and you should be able to socialize even things down to that level that you would think never could be socialized. So I, two things I want to say on that. Three things, actually. Um, first is there was an interesting moment where we're going back to the thing that you brought up before with the judge, where apparently sometimes in these Assad games in the culture, they make like, like really huge bets on the game. And I think that they have the judge, like the people in charge of the empire have the judge make a bet with Gurge and hopes to throw Gurge off enough that he would lose. And the bet they make is to have their genitals cut off. Yeah. And Gurke thinking to himself, well, I'll just have it regrown when I get back. Like, it, yeah. it's, like, like from the Empire standpoint, this is like the most like crazy bet they could come up with. And from Gurke's perspective, it's like, I'll just have him put it back on. Gurke, he feels bad when he wins at the end because he's like, that guy's life is ruined because he he will no longer have the genitals that like confer to him all this power he has. At well, first, he, he felt that he, he goes, felt bad before he won, and then Fleermzo took him on that tour of the poverty area, and then and he then, went back like I want to beat this guy, and he beats him yeah. bad after that because he just saw the societies like all the poverty and the hospitals they visited and all that, and the orphan they visited like an orphanage and they saw a guy getting beat up in the street. Um, but that's that's another interesting thing is it's like we what, it's kind of like a still uh, an example of on a daily basis people are making wagers on their livelihood, right? With their 401k or even just, you know, medical like medical expenses and things like that. And that's kind of the point that he's trying to make is that for Gurge, he doesn't really even have to feel that because no one in his society would have ever made that wager because it doesn't even make sense because, you know, they've, you know, socialized everything. And socialized. they removed genitals for fun on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> um... The other thing I want to say is, Stephen said that, a minute ago, you said that the Empire is like capitalist society taken to a, like, a crazy level. And I want to ask, is it? Because I don't feel like anything that happened in that book with the Empire is not stuff that happens in day-to-day human life. Like, I don't think anything outside of what humans do or have done happened. Oh, uh, definitely have done. It covers. There's a lot of shit Wouldn't really, in there, there that's have done. There's some, there's some shit that happens in it that I think most modern capitalist societies would still find like kind of barbaric. Like, yeah. but I mean, like within, like you're talking about capitalist societies where, like, you're and you're saying, and there's some parts of the of civilization that are not capitalist, but then we still have hundred billionaires mm-hmm. and then children dying in the streets of poverty. Like, we have both of those things. So, like, and then they have all these channels where people are getting beat up and tortured, and that's, like, porn to some of the society. And they have, like, you know, crazy weird sex, which... Well, and, and, and that's part of his thesis. I think one of his theses that he doesn't, like, spell out, but, but part of the, uh, you know, one of the theses is that, uh, 
you know, capitalism evokes this domineering attitude. So much so that this society has been genetically selected to enjoy watching domination because it's required to be successful as part of the society. Right, and I'm and I'd like you to I'd like to point to one I'd like you to point to one instance in the book of something that happened in the book that has that a human hasn't done to another human in the past two years. Like what is something <sighs> that's so outlandish that you don't think has happened on Earth? I, I get because ISIS existed in its prime and they were doing lots of shit. I I get what you're saying. I I guess I, my point was, uh, it just it's meant to magnify. It, it felt kind of exaggerated to me uh in a way where like you could tell he was really trying to make a point and like he wasn't interested in being nuanced about the society and i my Mm. point is like if if like there were more gopros and isis we would have had those channels pretty much what was happening no i mean you make a really good argument it's kind of like the shooting in new zealand right a week ago where the guy had a fucking gopro and people watched that and kept trying to post it and shit i have i have no proof that this happens well i have a little bit of proof that this happens but like just like what we saw in fucking um a handmaid's tale like they got to a certain point in society where like all the rules that applied to the general populace were flagrantly disregarded by the most powerful people in this society. And I would not doubt if there are some kind of like private dark web, like channels or like eyes wide shut style, weird ass secret (laughs) societies that all these like, hyper moralistic conservative people oh for out sure. of the eye of the public go and do weird fucked up shit i mean robert I mean, Kraft just got caught with a yeah. prostitute like he's a multi-billionaire that does not need to pay a prostitute in a massage parlor to give him to jerk him off but they do it anyway or or like uh yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it was i think it was paul manafort um it came out that like he very frequently was like coercing his wife into participating in these like weird, like very racialized, like gangbang scenarios. And Mm. like, I didn't hear like paying strangers from the internet and like setting all this stuff up. And like, she was very uncomfortable with it, but like did it because like her husband was telling her to. Oh, weird. It was, I'm not, 100% 100% sure if it was Manafort, but it was one of the recent, like, Trump-related people who had, who got indicted for something. Mm-hmm. Well, getting back to the book, I just, like, the point I wanted to make is I don't think that anything that happened in the Empire is that far out of what we already see humans doing today. I think that's a good point. I think, I, I'm just saying, I see Stephen's point where, like, the... The, the volume of it all at once was a bit extreme. Exactly. Like, he's it's just meant putting it to, all out at once. Yeah, it's put, meant to put a magnifying glass on it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It just means that we're magnifying some of the things. And, and right. maybe we're not... And maybe his one of his theses could be the only reason that we don't know about all of these things like we were just talking about is because we don't have a Fleer Imsaho to magnify it for us. 
right? If we had a magnifying glass, we'd see all of these same behaviors in daily human life. But we don't have a hyper-technological magnifying yeah. glass to see these behaviors. That, that could be a thesis as well. The, another interesting um, thing that I, that I noted throughout the book that like like we've already talked about it a lot here because he talks about it a lot in the book and one of the extreme examples of how just like laissez-faire anything goes to the culture is is the sex change thing where people are like i want to have a kid so they switch to be female have a kid and then there's like sometime later they switch back to being male yeah and i think he uses that because the book was published in 1988 and that was like you know height of the gay rights movement well, not only that, but it's like, like one of the things that in 1988 that was still very much like you know against the cultural norms was transgender people, and transgender mm-hmm. people are only now starting to fight back, and they're still very much against cultural norms, but it's way less against the cultural norms in 2019 than it was in 1988. So yeah. I'm wondering what example of something extremely anti, like culture would he have used if he'd written the book in 2019 because i don't think he would have gotten the same amount of shock and awe that changing gender would have been i wonder if it wouldn't have been having sex with animals or pedophilia or one of these other things that are so like Mm -hmm. against norm normality in the cult in our culture today in order to get that shock value of what's acceptable in the culture doesn't he kind of allude to some type of uh incest i think he i think something? very briefly someone that is a part like gerge or someone else says that like incest is a non-issue in the culture yeah but i think also what that was one of the things that Marin skell was like uh blackmailing him about was the fact that he had slept with that one woman and he said something like i have a video of you with this one woman and said something about him being related to her or something like no, that. No, I I don't I don't remember that. I think he was just telling him that he had video of that oh. to make a point that like that's how much surveillance he, has, he had on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I mean I I think that those things could it could possibly be something like that. I and but I mean it may have it, still been it may have still may have been sex changes if that's a bad thing like. I, I'm wondering if in 1988, the shock value that that produced of sex changes, if that was what he was going for, versus if it had been written in 2019, would that have the same level of shock today as it did in 1988? Or would he have gone with the same example either way, and he just thought that that was a very interesting thing about this culture that he's developing, and he wanted to like point out that you know gender isn't a problem in the culture, and this is how he's going to do it, is that... There is essentially no genders as you can be any gender you want, you know, not immediately, but like within a very short period of time, you can change. That's kind of what I got from it, at least. I don't know if he was necessarily going for... Was he going for shock or solving the gender issue that we currently have? Maybe. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, An interesting uh, linguistic trick that I think that he plays... um, is there's a like a brief interlude um yeah where like before they get into um like being in in the empire proper there's a different narrator who chimes in and he's like oh by the way since there's 
since there's three genders in this society um and like the whole mm. pronoun situation might be confusing regarding that this text is set up in such a way so that um the pronoun that you see used for the apex is the the third gender that is the most dominant will automatically be translated to the pronoun used for the gender that is most dominant in your society and then for the rest of the book the apexes are referred to as he's so yeah he's he's essentially making the point like there definitely is a gendered hierarchy in human society and it's a patriarchy yeah, I noticed that as well. That was that was a pretty cool trick. I also like that interlude because that helped me kind of I was still at that point I was a little miffed about the whole why did he cheat thing that doesn't make sense. And then at the end of that he's like or is Gerge just being played? And I was like, Okay, <laughs> yeah, Gerge's being played. <laughs> yeah. The more we've talked about this, I've I've been thinking about this pretty much since I stopped talking and let you guys talk more. Is this would make an excellent movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything about this book is set up to be an excellent movie, and I'm wondering why they aren't doing this rather than doing another Aladdin. <laughs> like, the, the the visual setup for this could be so good with modern CGI, and the way that they, like, show Assad could be so interesting. I don't know. I think that would be, uh, yeah. Like... And a lot of excellent, like, scenes, like, like the way he describes the Empire's architecture and the buildings they're in and the hole and the club and all the type of stuff and Uh, the way that they describe his home i'm gonna call it a world again i don't whatever you want to call it like and like you know the his friend yeah yay 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 like you could like the she's like wanting to be a world architect is kind of like what she wants to do with her life and like ah man there's so many cool visual things you could do yeah i mean i was Like, my only hesitation is nowadays, I just feel like every book that I like should never be a movie <laughs> and only be a show. If you're going to yeah. do it, make it a fucking show. Give it the time that it, it deserves. Like, I could see the days in which he is playing against uh, the Judge Apex being one one-hour episode. Right, like that—that that cannot just be fifteen fucking minutes in a movie, or ten, yeah, or five. five. It'd probably be five minutes in a movie, right? Yeah, honest. exactly, right. And so I—I I would love it if it were more of a show, um, you know. And I, you could see like the very first episode um, ending with, you know, you know, I don't know, something with Morin, the 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 cheating with Morin Scal or something like that. Like, and, and that's just my default now is because I really could see I could see this mo- this book over five or sorry ten one hour episodes. I would fucking hate it as a movie. I know it. It would end up like Ender's Game, and I'd be pissed. Not pissed, but just you know, like obviously it was gonna suck. It's fucking two hours. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to talk about Ender's Game anymore because the main problem with that movie is a massive spoiler. So we're not gonna get into it. <laughs> The main problem with oh I don't I don't even know what what main problem you're going to say it was, I haven't it seen it in so movie. long. It was a dumb yeah. movie, yeah. I mean, this, I do love that book. I I think I just blocked out the movie. Um, I will say real quick that, um, even though the empire wasn't set up as a society with like unlimited resources or whatever, 
that I still think that the the main difference between like far left ideologies and far right ideologies like communism or socialism or whatever like when you consider them in their ideal state when they are working perfectly and as intended with the ones on the left you still have everybody being equal and being taken care of and provided for and and the far right like with capitalism even when it's working exactly as it should it requires that somebody is being fucked over like yep. it is supposed to work that way that's the thing capitalism I, I, doesn't it, make sense in a endless like capitalism exists because there is a limit of supply Right, so yeah. like you have to find a way to distribute a limited amount of supplies. If you're ever in a wor- in a situation where there's unlimited resources, capitalism is no longer necessary. So it doesn't really make well, sense. There's, or even if you're approaching unlimited, yeah, there's resources. there's a lot of people who who say that capitalist only exi- capitalism only exists as it does now because we may not we're clearly not a post scarcity scarcity society, but capitalism re- relies on enforced artificial scarcity like if Mm -hmm. if capital and money weren't concerns and you were just like here are all the raw resources we have we could theoretically house clothe and feed everyone on the planet yeah i I mean that's kind of what i would i say too it's like i understand the argument and and you know just take healthcare for example that you think that your rich person healthcare will get worse if it's socialized. And it probably will. But I am in agreement with Steven that a lot of that it gets worse is created by like false scarcity, right? It's like built in scarcity. I don't know that that's true because if we were to take the exact world that we live in today and have a perfectly communistic society, right? I just looked up global GDP, which last year was $75.4 billion, trillion. Uh-huh. Divided by $7.3 billion, uh-huh. that means every human on Earth would have $10,000 a year. And I think that there's a lot of people in upper societies that would not be okay dropping to that amount. So, like, I don't know that it's oh. necessarily forced as much as you guys are saying it is, whereas there's, there's, there's actually, like, ah. a pretty significant limit on the number of resources, and that some people, Americans are a huge example of this, <laughs> way overuse their fair share. Yeah, no, I think, sorry, I'm not necessarily saying that it's not, like, obviously there is a an upper limit to resources for the technology level that we're at. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I agree with Stephen that if we say you multiply the world GDP by a thousand. Right. So everyone could have 10 million dollars. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Correct. Good. Good job. Worth of 10 million dollars worth of value to their life per year or whatever. What what Stephen is saying is and what I'm agreeing with, I think, is that capitalism if we decided to still have that level of gdp and continue to use capitalism we would build in false scarcity 
right? Like false scarcity would get built into that system. I think we're at a brink as in, as like upper technology countries of finding out what exactly is going to happen because I think that we're on the brink of a lot higher unemployment not due to the economy falling apart just because yeah. there's a lack of need for labor that's coming. Yeah. Um, and, so and, we're going to find out. We're going to find out what humans do in that situation. Yeah, but that's my point to conservatives though is like – I see what you're saying. And, and let's say today, yes, we can almost certainly say that if we socialized U.S. healthcare, somebody's would be worse, right? Not Maybe not 10% of people, maybe not even 1% of people, maybe just Bill Gates's would be worse, let's say. Somebody's would probably be worse. Did you right? see that story the other day about the person in Nova Soda, Canada? No, no. They were such a long line at the hospital that they died waiting in line to get seen by a doctor. And I was like, there are conservatives all over the world yeah. masturbating to this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't so, happen but, here? Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm just saying they're going to point out, like, oh, my God, yeah, there are yeah. so few doctors in Canada. Yeah. I'm, but, but here it doesn't matter because it was just a poor person. Yeah. I, I'm going to <laughs> right. um, request that we end this conversation here. Because you're you're about to get me on some bullshit that I could like okay. rant about for three hours, and yeah. I want to save Rob the labor of having to edit all of that. So if Sounds if you want to have me on but, for another episode where we just talk about this shit, we should do that absolutely. But um, I all I wanted to do was just the one thing to expand on what you said, which and you is always just, do this, and now I know it's even I longer. Do. So I'm cutting you off. We're done. No, don't Steven's right. We, Ah! Uh, so that wraps up the player of games discussion. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you feel like you would have gotten enjoyment out of that book and you decided to listen to this anyway. Cause yeah, I wish you'd gone on that journey you. with us. Rob yeah. warned you. <laughs> uh, it, it was my favorite book of the books we've read on this podcast so far. Ooh, I would have to agree, but again, it's because I'm very biased towards sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> well, the others are good, I'm just not as into those types of books. We have read another fantasy book, for the record. True, but we've already talked about why that one wasn't as good as some of the other ones. And in addition to that, not all of the other books we've read are good. <laughs> Infinite Jest is not a good book. <laughs> Hey, it's a way, way for pretentious rich white guys to feel better about their place in society. That's what Infinite Jest is. Sure, sure. <laughs> Did you know? Do you know someone who really likes that book? Is it a pretentious white person? It's John Green. He quotes Pre- it all the time. Pretentious white person, <laughs> as I said. <laughs> um, uh, getting into next month's book. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Um, it's not Gaiman. It could possibly be. I am not a gifted pronouncer of words. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Wait, if is I, it a TV thing as well? Yeah, there was a movie made in There's a TV it? series. It's oh. still ongoing. TV series. Is it any good? I haven't watched it all because it's on like HBO or some shit. Oh, okay. I have not watched it. I actually have no idea what the book is about. It's just one of his more celebrated works by an author that I have not read anything by, who is a very well-celebrated author, that I feel like I should have some idea of kind of what he what he's on about. 
But that's kind of yeah. why I wanted to pick one of his books, and I was like, wow, well, which book people are talking about? People are talking about this one because of the TV series. So yeah, that's, okay. that's that was the decision-making process for me. Um, Steven, do you want to plug your podcast? Yes. Um, I run a, a monthly music podcast that focuses on electronic music, specifically from uh, DFW area DJs and producers. And we, uh, they're mixes that are 45 minutes or more and try to get more of the like left field kind of cerebral side of electronic music, um, stuff that might not necessarily be the most dance floor friendly, but it's still good. Uh, new episode drops on March 30th. I don't know if that'll be before this episode comes out. This episode will come out on the 29th. Okay. So right after that. It'll come out on the 30th. Yep. And um, one more thing I would like to plug because um, it's very relevant to some of the stuff that we discussed as being the themes of this book we just read. Um, there is a series on YouTube by a channel called Innuendo Studios um, called The Alt-Right Playbook. And um, it's like a dissection uh several different videos that are like a dissection of what the alt-right is what it represents and how it operates and specifically the um the most recent video uh was about like why uh left-leaning or liberal ideology and conservative ideology are at such odds with each other and Basically, it's because there's a tension between democracy and capitalism and the left, in order to resolve that tension, mm. leans more towards democracy and the right to resolve that tension leads more towards capitalism. And hmm. people on the right get upset when uh, things become more democratic because whether they say so or not, they believe that there is an inherent order to society and capitalism, the way it works, it just makes sure that the order shakes out the way it's supposed to be. And they get mad mm -hmm. when they feel like democracy is doing things where people end up in social stations that they don't belong in, quote unquote. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I mean, I definitely, I mean, we, I know we don't want to discuss it at all, but yeah, you, you could totally see that in things just like when we talk about how to make voting easier and for some reason, what's his nuts is against it. Yeah. McConnell is against it. was a it, democratic like, power what grab. What the fuck? Yeah. A democratic power. Like what the fuck anyway, so are you talking? Check out the All Right Playbook <laughs> by Innuendo Studios. It's the kind of shit Will do. where like I watch it and I, I lose my goddamn mind because I'm like this, this. <laughs> I think you posted it once and I watched it and I very much enjoyed it. Uh, links to Mind the Headspace and the All Right Playbook will be in the show notes if you're too lazy to go find them yourself. Um, and check us out on Facebook if you want to discuss anything about the book with us or the next book or anything in general. Um, I believe Steven's also on the Facebook page if anyone wanted to tag him and ask him about any of his stuff going on. Uh, he will be reoccurring on here, so 
Don't uh, don't be afraid to shoot him stuff. Our email is stillgotnothing at gmail.com. Um... Did you accidentally summon me? Shut the me? fuck up, Siri.